Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. You know, you knew this was just going to be one of those shows. Hang on. Buckle in. Let's get started. By the way, if you follow me on Twitter, um, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. couple new tweets that are out there. Um, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty did, did an analysis of the Milwaukee mask rule. And it, it's fascinating because it, it just shows how screwed up the rule is how ill-considered it is. And again, this has nothing to do with the merits of a mask rule or not, but it's just if you're going to pass a mask rule, you should at least figure out what should be in it, make sure it's consistent, have guidelines, goals, enforceability, etc. And the Milwaukee mask rule fails big time. I've got a link to the report from the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Um, later on in today's program, we're going to be talking about something called the Pottery Barn Rule. And it's actually, there's a fascinating column, a great column in the Wall Street Journal today explaining it and actually giving some guidance to Federal, to President Trump that I candidly agree with. Um, if you want to get a head start on that and find out what the Pottery Barn Rule is, again, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. But we start... We start with what happened yesterday in front of the disaster that is the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission. And and let me start with the tweet I sent out with a link to the story, and then we're going to go into details. Let us understand what is going on here. The disaster, the dumpster fire that is the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission is laying the groundwork for firing Chief Al Morales, by giving him directives, orders, which are in some cases absurd and in many cases unreasonable. So that this is, let's understand what's going on here. They are giving him orders that he, he's got a contract. He's got like four years left on his contract. The Fire and Police Commission could, could just, just fire and pay him off. But they apparently, they want him gone, but they don't want to give him the money or they want to try to have cover for getting rid of him. So what they're doing is they're setting up all these guidelines, many of which are ridiculous, but many of which I think are also impossible to comply with. So now it's one of these deals where, okay, you know, we told you to do this or you, you haven't showed up or you didn't get us this report within seven days. So this is our basis for firing you and we're not going to pay you. That, that, that's, that's what it looks like. And, and they're not even being subtle about what they are doing. I think it is outrageous. I think it is disastrous. And by the way, I think we are potentially at a turning point for the city of Milwaukee. And if you are a property owner or a business owner or the resident of the, resident of the city of Milwaukee, you have to do some hard thinking and really watch what's going on here because th- this city is, in my opinion, it is at a turning point. And the question is going to be, Who do we really have running the city? Now, let us understand what's going on here. You have you have some political organizations that want him gone. You have um, seven members of the Common Council. You have the 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 group 
Voces de la Frontera, which is kind of like the the illegal immigrant lobby that, that's out there. They want him gone. You have a faction of the Milwaukee Black Lives Matter movement called the People's Revolution calling for okay, Morales to be gone. And on the flip side of this, you have the Milwaukee Police Union and people who care about law and order. So really, the question is going to be, who who is going to decide the, the direction of the city? Is it going to be, uh, again, protest groups like Voces de la Frontera or the people's, what do they call themselves, the people's revolution, or is it going to be forces of law and order? And, of course, all the while, Tom Barrett's on the milk carton. You know, Barrett, in what is presumably his final term as the, the mayor before he rides off into the sunset, you, you don't hear Barrett talking in a leadership sort of role at all. So now the question really becomes, all right, what is the future? So here here is what, what happened last night. Again, the Dysfunctional Fire and Police Commission, where they, 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 go, through, they go through executive directors like some people change socks. You've got the the head of the Fire and Police Commission under an ethics investigation himself um, about, well, as I've said before, the commission's chairman, um, he... If what he did was not unethical, it should be unethical. So he's under this investigation. And then they come down with these directives for Chief Morales. Now, in the past... The Fire and Police Commission has issued a directive here and there to a chief. Normally, it's simple, it's straightforward, and it's it's a directive. For example, when Ed Flynn was the chief, the Fire and Police Commission, after receiving numerous complaints and studying the issue, determined that the policy that the police chief had come up with, preventing Milwaukee police officers from chasing people, was absurd. And they said, we want you to change it. All right, so they gave him that direction. Fine, simple, straightforward, change this policy. Well, so yesterday, the Fire and Police Commission came up with not one, not two, but probably, what, close to a dozen different orders directing Chief Morales to do various things. For example, um, They are demanding audits and more information, video, disciplinary files, relevant records on the arrest of Sterling Brown, the police shooting of Terry Davis, the arrest of activist Vaughn Mays, an audit of standard operating procedure regarding safeguarding of evidence, a full explanation of why background investigators were fired, a full update on compliance with the um, CLU lawsuit. The commission ordered Morales to draft a community ordering police standard operating procedure in partnership with the Milwaukee Community Collaborative Committee, community leaders, and the Milwaukee Common Council, six of whom have already said they want him gone. Morales must work with the commission's subcommittee on complaints and discipline to develop and implement a discipline matrix, department mask policy, reappointment update, promotion updates, responsiveness to the commission. The directive mandates Morales and his staff comply with all commission requests within seven days of receipt seven days and you know what's going to happen we sent you this order you haven't complied you're gone um open records the commission 
Um, under a directive, the police department must make a new policy to comply with any and all open records requests made by the commission, regardless of whether the investigation is open and active or closed. And, of course, Wisconsin public records law allow agencies to withhold records of open and ongoing cases. All right. Morales must attend fire and police commission meetings. He must appear virtually or in person at all regular meetings and subcommittee meetings unless he is unavailable. If he can't make the meeting, he will be required to alert the commission no less than 24 hours before the meeting start. All right. The, the list goes on and on. But you understand what's going on here. They are setting him up to fail. They are taking this unprecedented step of trying to micromanage the office of the police chief, knowing that there will be occasions where he is unable to comply. Oh, you know, there's other stuff as well, including, you know, we want to develop policies um, preventing the use of tear gas, which is is just, you know, it, it's almost unthinkable that, that you would do something like that. Here, you know, we, we want investigations. We want to understand why rioters and looters had tear gas shot into them. So we, we'd rather have people just, I guess, go ahead and riot and loot uh, rather than use tear gas. But the list goes on and on and on. It is clear they are setting him up to fail. And I, I just, I, I don't know where we go with this. But I do know if you have groups like, Vochas de la Frontera or the People's Revolution that are dictating how laws are going to be enforced in the city of Milwaukee. I'm just telling you, you know, anybody who could get out and get their businesses out and get their families out, you would be well advised to do that if that's going to be what is going to drive law enforcement public safety, and other concerns in Milwaukee. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have said this before. I do not think Chief Morales is a perfect chief. But I will tell you, as somebody who has been, well, around for a long time, I've seen lots of different police chiefs come and go. And I, I think Chief Morales is one of the best, if not the best chief, to run him out of town on a rail by micromanaging him to give in to some of the loud voices of dissent in the city of Milwaukee, I think would be an incredible mistake. And, and this is one where it's time for Tom Barrett to come off the milk carton and say, look, we, we're, we are not going to allow this to happen. I don't want this to happen. I want to preserve law and order in this community so we don't have to say, will the last business, will the last person to leave the city turn off the lights? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Let's get started. Dave on the south side. Dave, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, uh, how come the mayor is not supporting the police chief? I Well, that's, you know, that's a very interesting question. Where is Tom Barrett on all this? Is he hiding in his kitchen? Is he hiding up in Door County? I mean, you would think that the mayor, who has an interest in making sure that law enforcement, that the streets don't become turned over to the anarchists, you would think, Dave, wouldn't you, that the mayor would be coming out of his kitchen and, and and giving a full-throated defense to law and order. Or if I had thought, Jeff, that he supported his four-year term back in December, so I don't know what's, I, what's no, happening here. Well, th- and thanks for he he did it. Thanks for he did it begrudgingly. Um, 
Al Morales was never Tom Barrett's first choice, and he he did it begrudgingly. Um, and now he's just he it is clearly he doesn't have the, his back. And if you talk to people in City Hall and you talk to people in the police department, they will tell you that. I mean, it's just because because where is Barrett on this entire situation? You would think that Barrett would be front and center. And if he wants Morales gone, OK, then 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 come on out and say, I've lost confidence in him. Let's. Let's pay him off. Let's, he's got four years left on his contract. Okay, we're just going to buy him out. We're going to give him the money. Now, I think that that would be a disastrous decision, but it's better than what you've got going on here now, where you have, uh, again, the dumpster fire that is the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission, and it is a dumpster fire, that they're the ones issuing all these orders. You know, it's interesting, if you ask them, and there, there weren't too many reporters that were do, willing to do this, is there any sort of precedent at all? for these number and these types of orders and restrictions that you're putting on a police chief? Because the answer would be no. Like I say, you know, from time to time, the Fire and Police Commission has issued directives, like change the change the chase policy. All right, but but that that's one, not page after page with all these different directives. And you know, we expect you to be at every subcommittee meeting, and, and if you're not, we need this. We expect any answer to any report that we request within seven days. I mean, it it they're setting him up to fail. Let us understand that they are trying to create a reason that they could fire the best police chief that this city has had in decades they want to turn this city over to uh, again the forces of, of political correctness the people who want to there are people who want to side with hey l- let's let people throw bricks at the police let's let people loot stores we don't want to hold people accountable how dare you use tear gas on on rioters how dare you use tear gas on protesters that are deciding that they're going to walk up and down the freeway oh my goodness gracious how dare you do things like that Th- this is a turning point in the city it really is and it could go either way I'm afraid the die has already been cast, though. Judy in New Berlin. Judy, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, as I said to your screener, amen to your points, to all of them. The city is going to, I don't know if I can say it, but hell in a handbasket. Yeah, you can and say it, because it is going to hell in a handbasket, Judy. <laughs> yeah. ab- absolutely. And I'm sorry, this woman that is the spokesperson or the head of the Fire and Com- Police Commission acts like a mouthpiece. Well, all the idiots behind her. Well, exactly. And and then you you ask these questions. When was the last time any chief, you know, received these type of directives and these sort of micromanaging type of orders? And you get hum and a hum and a hum and because you you haven't. It's It's ridiculous. It it is ridiculous, Judy. And, you know, and we're playing with with fire here because, again, you have political. Yeah. Thanks to call. You have politically motivated. Okay, you've got a half dozen members of the Congress. Council who have decided that they're going to throw their lot in with some of the the more vocal protest elements. Oh, we don't like the way the chief handled these different protests. Okay, well, get over it. I mean, seriously, get over it. Do you really want Milwaukee to become Chicago? Do you want Milwaukee to be Seattle? Do you want Milwaukee to be Portland? And and I think the answer for some of these members of the Common Council is is yes. Uh, Again, you've got these advocacy groups that have defined and definitive agendas that are, by the way, not consistent with public safety. Oh, one of the things they're outraged about is Chief Morales continues to cooperate 
cooperate with federal law enforcement when it comes to immigration. If you catch somebody who's in this country illegally, who's committed a crime, they tell immigration that so that 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 gets I mean, that gets some of these these rights groups upset about it. Well, heaven, heaven forbid. And again, I'll be the first to tell you that I don't think Chief Morales has been perfect. I, I don't being Leading an urban police force is a very, very difficult job. There, there's no question about it. But I think he's done pretty well um, in general. In, in the face of pretty much no support from the jump, from Tom, come off the milk carton Barrett, to, uh, again, the Fire and Police Commission, to members of the Common Council. Now, let me read you some text. Jeff, don't the citizens of Milwaukee get to be heard? Why I'd just go, why I'd like to go up to the commission. I think Morales is doing an outstanding job. I think that's where the majority of the community is. But again, the Fire and Police Commission doesn't care. The mayor's in his final term. You know, he just, he just, uh, he doesn't want to rock the boat. Um, Jeff, can you imagine if the optics, if this city, if this was going on during the Democratic National Convention, well, no. Jeff, I agree with you. The people who want to ignite hatred and create civil war attack law enforcement, but tell government to order a stand down. Um, yes, th- this is kind of what's going on. Um, let's talk. Let's see. Um, Jeff, I-, I think a lot of the protesters are fueling anarchy in a very unstable city. Um, where is the mayor on this? Um, Jeff, the chief will walk. He won't put up with this. He's just taking his time to figure out what's going on next. It's a shame. A quality person treated like crap will not blame him for leaving. Barrett on vacation in Door County. Well, I don't know if he's back, but he was up in Door County over the weekend. Jeff, I am out of the city as soon as my lease is up. Jeff, I can't believe that the Fire and Police Commission is turning its back on Chief Morales. Yep, that's exactly what is going on here. Jeff, the mayor is part of the problem. Sure, the mayor is part of the problem. Tom Barrett's on the milk carton. Tom Barrett's hiding in his kitchen. Tom Barrett should be the one coming up and saying, enough is enough. I stand behind this police chief. I support law and order. And you know what? You know what? We are not going to let a small percentage of people, we're not going to let the folks who think that they should have the right to write defund the police and block letters on a three-block stretch of Water Street, we are not going to give the city over to them. We want law and order. Is that too much to ask for? Well, I I guess maybe. And just recognize this is what's going on here. It is a concerted effort to force Al Morales out. It is despicable. It is beneath contempt. And the members of the Fire and Police Commission collectively should be ashamed of themselves. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I have a couple friends who are considering making some substantial investments into the city of Milwaukee. And I just I I hope they're looking at this stuff and asking themselves, do we really want to get into partnership with a city that is about ready to turn itself over to to anarchy? I mean, is this is this what we really want? A couple more texts before we move on. Um, Jeff, this police chief is one of the best we've had ever. Um, What's Town Barrett's Milwaukee going to do when homeowners are no longer there to pay the taxes because of the lawlessness? 
Well, that, that's that's a, a good question. Now, Barrett will probably be retired, but still, you, you'd think that'd be an issue. Jeff, uh, this is Tom in West Bend. If you thought it was difficult to get good young people who want to be police officers in the city of Milwaukee before, how do these idiot city fathers think they will attract quality people after all this BS? And, and by the way, that that's a good point. But here here's the other point that, that's out there. The police department is already down. And that's 75 to 100 people, all right? They're already down. And, of course, you, you've got some of the folks who want to defund them. So let, let's cut another couple hundred. What is going to happen is you have a number of police officers, experienced police officers, who have had enough of this. And I, I think if Chief Morales goes, what you're going to see is you've got a lot of officers who are eligible to retire but are sticking around they will be out the door. And to answer the question from the texter, I have no idea who's going to replace them. I, I just, I, I, I don't. I mean, are we going to, I don't know, bring in people from the, the People's Revolution Movement or whatever they call themselves? Are, are the six members of the Common Council, are they who want Borales gone, are they going to start, I don't know, handling the calls from their constituents who talk about how their cars have been stolen or their houses have been burglarized? I mean, I'm just asking this. Jeff, uh, it's ridiculous. I agree with you 100%. All the positives in Milwaukee with development, etc., what do these businesses think about their investments toppling? We can talk and talk, but who can actually stop this? SOS, someone, anyone, help. Um, yes. Who would be the replacement chief that the Fire and Police Commission wants to put into power? Good question. Good question. But you know it's going to be anybody they would put in would be a puppet that essentially would be beholden to, uh, again, these protest groups and would have to commit that we're not going to have a law and order approach. Tom Barrett, really, wh- where are you as your city, figuratively speaking, burns? I mean, really, wh- where are you? Um, let's see. Uh, the texts continue. Um, dot, 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 dot. Um, Jeff, looking to move for many reasons, including this. Jeff, Morales is a great chief. It's it's sad. Um, let's see. And you get the idea. I mean, I, I think there's almost a unanimity that's there. Um, Jeff, why isn't there a scream of racism against Chief Morales? Chief Morales, it is interesting. Chief Morales is a second-generation Mexican-American with huge ties to the Milwaukee Hispanic community. You you do wonder you know, where where is support in that community for him? Now, we understand, again, some of the immigrant rights groups are upset with him because, heaven forbid, he wants to enforce the law. He, he wants to enforce the law, and he's not willing to simply say, we're not going to, you know, cooperate at all with federal authorities. Jeff, okay, here's a plus side. I live in Waukesha County, and I bet my property values just went up 10 to 15%. Um, well, that, there, there, there could be that because I'm going to tell you any sort of, any sort of economic development. Communities are fragile, all right. And, and there's been a lot of good economic stuff that's been going on in the city of Milwaukee. You, you've had a lot of interesting development, but that is fragile. It, it is because if. If you turn the city over to the forces of lawlessness, if you take the position that we are going to be hostile to law enforcement, well, okay, pretty soon, 
What ends up happening is people don't feel comfortable going into certain areas. Businesses don't feel comfortable. And pretty soon you've got kind of this this downward cycle that's there. This is a really easy choice that's out there. And, And the choice is... Do you side with law and order? Do you side with a police chief who, who it might not be perfect? Look, and I, and I guess we could, we could look at, at individual reactions and we could say, okay, um, you know, the, the officers in the Sterling Brown case, should there have been quicker discipline against some of them? All right, I, I'm not going to argue the individual merits of a particular situation. I am telling you that to micromanage Al Morales, and the way he has led the police department, especially in the last couple of years where you've had three officers who've lost their lives in the line of duty, for the members of the Fire and Police Commission to decide to do that, for those six members of the Common Council who said we've lost confidence in him, well, the only reason you've lost confidence in him is because you're apparently ready to turn the city over to lawbreakers and anarchists because you think it's good for your political career. Well, short term, it might be good for your political career, but long term, it's not good going to be very good for your community. It's this short-sighted thinking that is just absolutely amazing to me. And to circle back to where we started, where is the mayor on all this? I, I mean, seriously, where is Tom Barrett? Where is Tom Barrett on let's right defund the police that on, on the streets for for like a three block range? Where is where is the mayor? You would think that you would be getting some leadership on what is probably the most significant issue facing the community now. But yet you've got the mayor who, again, you know, he's, he's talking about the mask ordinance and that's all that's all well and good. But, Mayor, there's other stuff going on as well. All right. When we come back, it's the pottery barn theory. If you want a head start on what that's all about, follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link. I will explain. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Crew producing the show today and always. Ever been to a pottery barn store? Okay, well, you know, pottery barn, they, they, they have furniture and they have bedding and they have furn, they have like bedroom sets and rugs and pillows and all sorts of things. There, there's, there's a column in today's Wall Street Journal. Like I said, I've got a, I've got a link to it. It talks about the pottery barn rule. Know what happens if you're at, if you're in a pottery barn, and let's say you're looking at a, I don't know, two hundred dollar wall clock, and and you've you've got it in your hand, and you're kind of like shaking it, and then all of a sudden you turn around and you trip and you drop the clock and it breaks, breaks. You know what the pottery barn rule is? You break it, you bought it. <laughs> that's it. You break it, you own it. That, that's that's kind of the rule. Lots of stores have that. You know, that's okay. Handle the merchandise, but just understand, you drop it, you break it, you bought it. That's the Pottery Barn rule. All right. I think that is a rule that President Trump, and there's a column in the Wall Street Journal that I think makes this point well, President Trump should be remembering that rule. Now, Portland, Oregon is an absolute dumpster fire. And I understand I've used that phrase a couple times, but but it is. Portland, Oregon has had 53 nights of civil disturbances. Some nights have degenerated into what they call a riot. Other nights, not as bad. But for 53 days, the city has been in complete and total turmoil. 
The city, Portland, is one of the most liberal cities in the country. And just like you had the mayor of Minneapolis who kind of stood down when you had rioters who were, again, burning and looting the city of Minneapolis, just like the mayor in Seattle essentially stood down and allowed um, anarchists, protesters, use whatever term you want, to um occupy nine city blocks and to keep them for, you know, a couple weeks. In Portland, the mayor has essentially, and the Common Council, they, they have essentially done little or nothing to try to restore order in downtown Portland. So President Trump has called in the, the civilian authorities. So you've got Homeland Security agents, and undoubtedly, if you've been watching any of this, you see the Homeland Security agents... They're out there. They're trying to protect the federal buildings, but they're also making arrests. They're using tear gas. There's some judge that's put an injunction on the local cops saying that they can't use tear gas to dispel the rioters. Give me a break. But anyhow, so you've got the federal agents that are there. And now what has happened is the federal agents have been have become the the centerpiece of this. And if you watch a lot of the mainstream media coverage, the argument is, well, we, we don't want the federal agents here maintaining law and order. So rather than focusing on the rioters, the looters, the arsonists, and the anarchists, now the argument is, Trump should pull out the these federal agents. We, we shouldn't have the federal authorities in there. You know what? And, and this is the point of the Wall Street Journal article that I link on Twitter. Maybe President Trump should follow the pottery barn rule, and that is you broke it, you bought it. He's talked about, okay, I'm sending the federal troops into Portland. Um, Chicago going through some of the same problems. He says, I, I'm, I'm on the verge of sending federal troops to Chicago, and maybe I'll do it in other places as well. My point is, no, Mr. President, don't. They broke it. They bought it. I mean, this is in Portland it is a problem created because local government refuses to get control of the situation. So when you send federal authorities in, all you do is you let local government off the hook. You let this ineffectual mayor, who's essentially ordered a stand down, they, they bought this. This is what they caused. If they say they don't want federal authorities there, then pull the federal authorities out and let the people of Portland see what is going on and let them deal with this. And and I guess I feel the same way about Seattle. I feel the same way about Chicago. I feel the same way about these federal presences. I guess it's one thing if the governor and the mayor says, look, this is out of control. We, We can't keep the streets. We need federal authorities to come in and provide order. But if the mayor of Portland wants to allow the looters, the rioters, and the anarchists to take over the city, and he doesn't want the feds to stop him. Why should the feds stop him? Just l- let them have it. They've broken it. They've bought it. And instead, by sending in federal authorities, you make the federal troops the issue, the federal homeland security officers, the agents, you make them the issue where the real issue is, okay, does anybody want to live in a community where for 53 nights in a row you've got disturbances, many of which turn into riots? All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If I were advising President Trump and he were to listen, my response would be, hey, if the mayor of Portland doesn't want federal authorities there, pull the federal authorities out. And if the looters and the arsonists decide that they want to burn down Portland, um, and as a result of that, you, you have... 
and of businesses that the flee and the city becomes like a Northridge. Okay, that's the decision that the local authorities have made. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and again, if, if a, it's one thing if local authorities say, look, this, this city is out of control. We, we can't get it under control. We need federal help. All right, if they're asking for it, that's fine. But if the mayor of Portland doesn't want the cops there, if the mayor of Chicago doesn't want federal authorities there, fine, fine, let them let them deal with the situation them themselves. Um, okay, Jeff, if President Trump leaves Portland and other cities to deal with their own problems, he'll end up getting blamed for doing nothing when it gets much worse. I, I, but you, you, you can't have it both ways. I, I mean, you know, if, if the authorities don't want you there, why allow you to become an, an issue? Um, Jeff, I, I agree. Cut off relief for all those areas. Um, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, let's start with Adam in Brookfield. Adam, you're first. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon to you. Um, I often felt that for any of these cities that are burning, let them burn. It will do wonders for Trump's re-election efforts because he's a law and order guy. If they don't want his help, cool, let them deal with it. And I say let them burn to the ground, let prime rates go through the roof. Well, it, it sucks to be there, but it'll benefit Trump. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know because uh, again, see, I, I don't want, the, I, I hate the politics of this. I'm a law and order guy. I, I cannot believe, for example, that you, you had the mayor of Minneapolis who just stood down and let buildings be burned. I can't believe that you had the mayor of Seattle that just let people take over nine blocks of her city. I, I can't believe the mayor of Portland is not at some point in time finally cracking down on this after 53 nights and not every night is is violent but a lot of them are people throwing bricks and stuff at the police i i don't i don't i i don't accept this notion of just let the cities burn but at the same time if the mayors say we don't want you don't send the authorities there i i do think there's kind of an element fine you don't want us you you just you figure out how to deal with this yourself and maybe at some point in time it's going to get so bad that, that yes, you will, you know, go ahead and you'll interact and you'll, you'll decide to stop it. But I, I mean, that would be my advice to President Trump. If, if this is this dumpster fire that's out there in Portland, if that's what the local authorities want, if that's what the community wants, well, oh, okay, just, just fine. Let, let them go. Let's talk to Lewis on the South Side. Lewis, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, I didn't uh, get a chance to read the article, but. To my understanding, those troops are just protecting federal buildings. Right. They're not going out and policing the city. So, um, for one, he's president of has right to do just what he's doing, and I think he should. Um, if if he lets those buildings burn, we're just going to end up paying for it, the whole country, not the city of Portland. Well, the, the problem is, and, and right, they're, they're there technically to protect the, the federal buildings, and they're allowed to use tear gas when their local police officers aren't. But but what they've been doing, and, and this is appropriate, so they, they've been proactive. You know, when, when they've had 
when they've had people who were acting up violently or, or they thought were planning stuff, what they've gone out and they've dragged people off the street. And now what you have is whenever there, there's any sort of enforcement action that goes on, you have a, a group of the, the anarchists who are, you know, dressed in black and they'll, they'll swarm on the police. It's a volatile situation and the mayor doesn't want them there. It's not that the president doesn't have the authority to send people. I, I appreciate that. But from a perspective, if, if the community just doesn't want this. If the community is willing to say destroy ourselves, we're gonna just we're not gonna restrict people, set stuff on fire, loot businesses, or etc. Essentially, like I say, turn Portland into Northridge. If that's what they want, I think I think the president needs to consider it because what's happening now is the, the issue has not become the rioters. The issue isn't the looters. The issue isn't the violent pro- parts of the protest. The issue is, oh, Trump has sent, you know, federal authorities that are in there. And that's where all the focus is. Let's talk to Ron in Janesville. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, Jeff, I, uh, listening to this, I just wonder if you think, uh, in the next election coming up, that uh, there's going to be a lot of change uh, because, uh, like I told you, screener, I think even Democrats don't want their cities and their states burned down. And it, it seems to me by listening to the news that majority where all this, uh, uh, I guess, uh, lawlessness is happening is in Democratic run cities and states. Well, and, uh, uh, I don't I don't know what I mean. I, it just doesn't seem right. I mean, uh, running on law and order in the next election. You would think would get you somewhere. You you would, but thanks. Well, you you would think you you would think that it would get you somewhere, but I I just don't know. I mean, stuff is, is all so volatile now, and you you do have in major urban areas. You you've had the, the cities that that are just sort of like turning things over to uh, again the, the the protesters, and there, there's a role for protest. I I get it, but we're not talking about that. We're at 53 nights of, of disruption, including you know officers that are assaulted and people throwing bricks at the officers and things like that. I I don't know what the politics of this is. I, I mean I I don't know. I, I I do understand that there's a lot of people that just don't feel they can discuss this. They don't feel they can stand up and, and support the police because they're going to be accused of, you know, various things. And and so they just sit back and and they shake their head uh, about this. And you're seeing this play out in various ways. Portland was dramatic. Minneapolis was dramatic. Seattle was dramatic. Less so in Milwaukee so far. But again, but who knows, as you have these elected officials that decide that they're not going to stand up for law and order, I, I don't know what it means I don't know what it means short-term politically, don't know what it means long-term uh, politically either, but but it's not good. But if President Trump, uh, to me, if, if the mayor of Portland wants to allow the city to burn and doesn't want any outside help, I, I think, again, pottery barn rule, he broke it, he should own it. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One final thought on the concept of you broke it, you bought it. Um, Chicago, now Chicago is quickly becoming the homicide capital, certainly of the United States, maybe of the world. If you look at the violence that's going on in Chicago on, on a daily basis, it is just absolutely stunning. And of course, you know, you're saying the same thing in, in Milwaukee. I haven't run the homicide numbers in the last couple of days, but, you know, all, in many urban areas, what you're seeing is this incredible spike in, in homicides. But 
Okay, I just sent out a tweet with a link to a story in today's Chicago Tribune. The On Friday, 49 Chicago police officers were injured. 49. 49 Chicago police officers were injured when they were ambushed by a mob of criminal agitators who hijacked a protest in, in, in Grant Park in downtown area of Chicago. There was this protest that was uh, surrounding this Columbus statue. Okay. And, and what happened is you, you had a, a large group of people, masks, dressed in black, etc., that, that, that turned on the police. And apparently they had brought lots of projectiles, frozen water bottles, rocks, explosive devices, sharpened PVC pipe, and th- this mob attacked the police officers and apparently this had been this had been intended this wasn't this kind of spontaneous thing because they came with the sharpened pvc pipes that they came with the frozen water bottles they came with the rocks they turned on the police who were trying to uh, again maintain order 49 police officers injured i want to be careful that i get this right i believe um I believe 17 had to be hospitalized. Could be wrong on that, but I believe it was 17 that had to be hospitalized. Um, 18. 18 were sent to area hospitals for for their, their, their injuries. So, again, you had this situation where you had the, these anarchists, and that's what it was, who decided that we're going to use this opportunity. We're going to come. We're going to be armed, and we are we're going to be armed with frozen water bottles and things like that that we can use as projectiles and injure the police. And, and that's what they ended up accomplishing. It was a planned ambush. It's really, really kind of scary. And I, again, I sent out a link. If you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620, I just sent out a link to that story. Now, here's the follow up on, on the whole you broke it, you bought it concept. The the governor of Illinois, who is a train wreck, he's out today saying, I, I do not want any federal help. Don't send federal authorities. Don't send Homeland Security people here. You know, just Mr. Trump, you keep your you keep your you know forces of law and order away. I'm going to apparently I'm going to allow police officers in Chicago to be attacked and I'm going to allow them to be sent to the hospital. But I don't want any help from the feds. Well, okay. again, this is my theory. You broke it. You bought it. Governor, you know, if this is if this is what you want. All right, if this is, you know, the fact that you want to turn your city over to anarchists, you want to allow police officers to be attacked, if this is the type of society that you want to create, fine. You own it. Just own it. Now, how you're going to get people to serve as Chicago police officers, don't know. How you're going to get people who want to live in a community where it's going to be like free reign to attack the police, I don't know. But I guess the other point is, not only that, but, I mean, I, I look at this, and I look at what is going on in the city of Milwaukee. The, the no leadership at all from the mayor, who's on the milk carton. The common council president, I, I heard is we, we played what the guy said in during the news, and I'm kind of like, what? I mean, what, well, the Fire and Police Commission has a lot of authority, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. What? I, I mean, you know, do, do you want the chief gone or not? Six members of the common council who are saying, well, we, we don't have confidence in him because, well, he stood up to the, the rioters and the looters and the anarchists. I mean, I, I seriously wonder if, if what happened in Chicago on Friday with the police being, you know, again, ambushed while they were trying to, again, 
maintain some sense of order. I mean, I wonder if this is the ghost of Christmas future for Milwaukee. That's a serious question. And if Chicago doesn't want federal help, all right, fine. Don't give them federal help. Let them explain to the citizens and the taxpayers and the police officers and I think the vast majority of people who want to have some sense of law and order. Let let the elected officials decide why they have decided to turn over the streets to the anarchists. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. Yesterday we had a conversation about the extension of the, the $600 a week unemployment benefit that I, I, I just, and, and my take is, I don't think you can do this. The If if you have been following this, what, what happened is, of course, when coronavirus hit, let me back up just a second, when coronavirus hit, you, you had all sorts of people, millions of people who suddenly lost their jobs. All right, so they're, they're faced with expenses, and so the federal government decided to help. So in addition to your state unemployment benefit, which a couple hundred bucks probably at best, um, the federal government has been sending $600 a week checks to people um, to supplement their state unemployment benefits. And that is due to expire uh, this week, I believe, or or next week. Well, anyhow, there's a new study out that finds that 68, almost 70% of unemployed workers who are getting that that $600 benefit by the time you add that 600 bucks from the feds to the money they're getting from the state, they make more by not working than they do by working, all right? And in, in the median is 30%, 34% more. So there, there's just no incentive for people to go back to work. There, there, there's none. Or if your employer, for example, has shut down, so it's not in a position to call you back, there's no incentive at all to go try to find yourself another job. That is slowing the recovery. But it's also not fair, I think, to all the people who've worked, for example, through the, the pandemic, the essential workers who who are making less by showing up and working than many people are by, by not working. Now, I I don't know. Maybe you could structure a deal where you could still help out some of the people that are employed, but I, I don't think... Federal and state benefits should, at any situation, be more than 50 or 60 percent of what you made when you were employed. I, I just don't believe that. But that's not the only issue when it comes to unemployment. The other issue, and I've heard this anecdotally from several of you, is that even even after people have lost their jobs last March, in Wisconsin, there are still people who have not gotten any unemployment compensation. Um, There's a study out by the Legislative Audit Bureau that they estimate that more than 140,000 people in Wisconsin continue to have their unemployment claims reviewed, in quotation marks, and that as a result, they're, they're not getting money money that they are otherwise entitled to. The flip side of this is the Legislative Audit Bureau just came out with a study that they estimate that the Department of Workforce Development um, likely overpaid an estimate, they they overpaid $21.2 million in program benefits over a two-day period at the end of April. So they've overpaid money. I'm told that they've done nothing to try to collect that overpayment, the, the back, and they're still 
tens of thousands of Wisconsinites who are stuck in this limbo of, of not being able to get money that they are otherwise entitled to. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are in or know somebody who's in a situation like this, I, I would, I, I'd like to, to hear the story because this is getting, I think, lost in all these other conversations that are out there, that the fact that there are still enormous numbers of Wisconsin residents who are still waiting to have money that they are otherwise entitled to. And I guess the idea that it's going to be another three or four months before we, we might get this backlog cleared up, to me, that's just unacceptable. And that needs to be a much bigger story, I think, than it's been. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For people who deserve unemployment, should, is it fair to make them, is it responsible, is it reasonable to have made them wait months, March, April, May, June, and now we're three-quarters of the way through July. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. As of, I think, two weeks ago or so, the Wisconsin Department of Workforce Development um, still has yet to process about 509,000, 509,000 weekly unemployment claims, which represents about 151,000 people <laughs> who, who have, have filed claims. And, and, and maybe not all of them are legitimate. I'm not saying they all are, but, but they're, they're not getting attended to. And in many cases, it's people who've been out of work since March. And I know one of the things that happens is the call centers continue to be overwhelmed to the point that you call in and it's busy signal, it's busy signal, the lines are blocked. Maybe you get through and chances are better than even that you're going to get hung up on before you actually get to talk to somebody. 855-616-1620. Don't we need to do better? Anthony in Watertown. Anthony, good afternoon. Hi there, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Um I'm self-employed, so one of the things that I fell through their cracks like several others, there was no PPP loan because I've never drawn a paycheck. Um, I was told then to file for pandemic unemployment that was aimed for people like myself and small businesses that didn't qualify. So I filed for that, sent in my taxes, did everything they said. They sent me a denial letter. In the denial letter, it said, you now have 14 days to call and contest this denial. So you know what happens when you try to call? After three days of calling, and it, the machine just hung up on you. It didn't even let you yeah. through half the time. Talk about beating your head against the wall. I'm self-made. I, I built my shop with my hands. After three days, that's an awful lot like begging. Yeah. And it, it's so frustrating. And I, my wits end. Yeah. I, I have no idea how to describe how angry I am with my with the way this is being handled um yeah there you can't call anybody and complain the private sector i can track down your boss yep and i can have a word with your boss and your boss can hold you responsible in this there's right. nothing right there's nothing Right. And, and, it, and it gets, it's, it's, it's little comfort, Anthony, but you're not alone. Like the, the, the fact that you're, you're in the same boat with 151,000 other people is little comfort. But yeah, it's, and the idea is, well, it might take us till October to get this all straightened out. That, that's, 
it is unacceptable. And, you know, yet we, we don't talk as much about this and we don't talk about the real world consequences of people not getting money that no. they're entitled to. They're not inspiring confidence in any other decision they're making for me. Like, I've, I've never looked at my government from my state, city, national. I've never looked at them the way I'm looking at them now. Yeah. And I never thought I would. I, I again, I, I can't explain how frustrated I am. Thanks for the perspective. I appreciate it. Uh, here's some text. Jeff, my son was off for three and a half months, never received any, any, any unemployment. He was told it was being processed. Fortunately, he's back to work now, but he's still getting nowhere collecting on his back pay. Evers? Evers? Anybody? Evers? Um, and his savings are, his savings are, are gone. Um, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. Jeff, I made my claim in March of, I, I made my claims on March 25th. I still haven't gotten a dime. I had to close my shop. I'm seven months behind on my mortgage. It's been a career ending year. I've been working for 41 years stay, straight. Now I'm almost homeless while other people have gotten money. Who's there for me? Well, I think that that's a fair thing, and, and I think I know the pr- frustration. It's just like Anthony was talking about: is people you, you call up and, and you can't get through. The eighty percent of the call lines end up being blocked. You can't talk to anybody. Now, I understand that in some cases, the if in, in some cases what's been delaying things is if there's there's any sort of review that has to take place at, at all. But still, we we have to do better. Jeff, my uh, application was received by Wisconsin Unemployment. On April 21st, I have yet to see a dime. I continue to submit my weekly unemployment claims, and I patiently wait. April, May, June, July. Um, You know, wow. Um, Jeff, my mom worked at Potawatomi. I helped her file. We answered one question wrong when filing. We had to go through an appeal process to correct the mistake. We filed in April. The appeal was in mid-July. She still hasn't seen a dime yet. I mean, still hasn't seen a dime yet. Um, uh, Jeff, I feel Anthony's pain. I'm self-employed, too. I'm an Uber driver. I still haven't received a dime. Um, let's talk to, uh, you know, but it goes on. It, it just goes on. You, But you get the idea. This is a significant issue that is in fact out there and I, I understand being told that well you know we've just got a little bit of a backlog here and, and, and don't worry well you should worry and the fact that this has apparently not been a priority of this administration to try to get money to people who need it desperately I mean I think the big question is you know why stop with the excuses figure out how to make this work this is Jeff Wagner Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Boy, the texts continue. Jeff, our state's treatment of folks needing unemployment is disgusting and disgraceful. My relative has not received anything for eight weeks, received one week, and now his file is in limbo with the adjudicator. Savings are gone, still furloughed. State workers are getting paid. It's pathetic. Um, you know, why are people assumed to be bad and dishonest, especially due to COVID? Um, Jeff, I am a full-time rideshare driver. I just received my $7,000 past due two weeks ago in my savings account, direct deposited. It took over and a month and a half 
for a phone call to be scheduled, and it took two minutes of the phone call to have it straightened out. It was a simple yes or no question I had originally filed back in in March. So here you have somebody who's, again, I understand sometimes there's there's an issue or there's a flag on this, but if these simple things, I mean, for for goodness sake, if if it's a simple, straightforward thing, doesn't this need to be a, a priority? And the fact that it hasn't been a priority, can't we do better? You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A week or so ago, we, we did a, a topic about people. My question was, would you feel comfortable going back to football games? That We, we were talking about that in, in the era of, of coronavirus. And I, I was I was surprised because the, the first several callers said that, that they they weren't going back. They were not going to go back to, to Packers games in person this year. And, and it, but their reason wasn't, wasn't coronavirus. It was because of, of the ongoing anthem controversy. And, and again, whether it's the, the kneeling or, you know, playing alternative music to the anthem, but, but people felt very strongly about it to the point that several people, several people said that. Well, okay, we, we've got, pro sports that are are coming back and i understand that you know some have been back already but this week you know friday is the thursday i guess technically not for the brewers but thursday is major league opening day 60 game season the brewers open their season on on friday night you can hear the game here on wtmj but if you thought even though that there's there's nobody in the stands if you thought the anthem controversy had gone away it 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 hasn't. I mean, here's the story in the Washington Post. In one of the first Major League Baseball games since sports shut down after the novel coronavirus outbreak, San Francisco Giants manager Gabe Kapler, who was a Brewers player back in the day, and several players and staff took a knee during the national anthem, drawing a quick response from President Trump. Looking forward to live sports, Trump tweeted Tuesday morning. But any time I witness a player kneeling during the national anthem, a sign of great disrespect for our country and our flag, the game is over um, for me. The demonstration was the first seen by an MLB team since Bruce Maxwell took a knee in September of 2017 when NFL players and other athletes followed the example set by Colin Kaepernick. Um, those demonstrations angered the president. And then, uh, again, uh, Kapler, the, the manager, goes on to say, well, I, I don't mean any disrespect to the flag, but this is my statement of standing in solidarity, solidarity with people who are um, pushing for social justice. And, and so, yes, I'm going to continue doing this. And I guess the expectation is moving forward. My guess is that lots of other players, managers, etc., will continue to do this as well. All right. I want to take your temperature. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand that the taking the knee means different things to different people. I understand that it is a form of of protest. I, I have to tell you, though, that as somebody who believes, you know, in legitimate protest and, and things, you know, like that, I go back to what I said years ago when this was first developing. I, I think it's it's one thing if you are going to be engaging in, in protests on your own time. It's another thing if you're going to be doing it when you are on your employer's time, when you're in uniform, etc. 
And my guess is that this action, if it becomes, uh, again, widespread, and my guess is it's probably going to be widespread, my guess is just like the people that were calling me a week or two ago and saying, you know, because of the anthem controversy, they're they're going to be sports fans, but they don't have a desire to go back to Lambeau at least anytime soon. Now, I don't know if you believe that or not. Um, my guess is that in an era and an age and a time where people are looking at sports as a relief and a release from the tensions of everyday life, my guess is that that this isn't going to go over really well with a lot of the fan base. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right. Do you want to see the protests, the anthem kneeling and things like that before the games? Or will that, I don't know, will that hurt your interest in the game? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And again, for me, I support the right of legitimate protest, but you know what? I mean, there there's a time and a place for everything, and is it when you're on the field before the game? And will this will it turn you off if this becomes widespread? 855-616-1620, we discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, my grandfather fought in three wars so that these guys could basically make their living playing a game. Even though I'm a huge Brewers fan and like sports quite a bit, if uh, league is kneeling, I am not watching. All right. Now, of course, the, the the people who kneel would say, well, it's not intended as a sign of disrespect to the, the flag. It's making a statement on support for, again, the, the social justice movements. But... I, you know, again, people interpret things in different fashions. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Tony. Um, like I was telling your call screener, I think there's a time and a place for things. And these guys are being paid to do a job. That's that's what they're doing. And I think it's very disrespectful to our military and the people that fought and died and, and were injured to, to preserve our freedom and for them to be able to do what they do. So I think it's not to ask too much for them to do the job they're being paid for quite well and and, and do it off the field. Right. If you want to do some social justice, I, I'll support that. But don't do it while the game's on because I don't want anything political. Yeah. I want to watch the game. I want to break from this. Well, I think, see, and I, I think that's that's how... I think that's how a lot of people, you know, view these types of things, that it, it's fine. You have a right to do these things. But, you know, when when you're when you're in uniform, when you're on the field, when you have people that are the captive audience and, you know, look, and, and I understand that the TV cameras are going to be focused on people and the, the TV cameras, they're going to show the people that are kneeling. They're going to show the people that are standing that that's going to be it, because that's what the news is going to be. And I guess my reaction to this is, you know, if Major League Baseball doesn't think this is going to be a turnoff for some people, um, they're they're in for, I, I think, a rude awakening. Let's talk to Don and Mequon. Don, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Don. Um, hi, Jeff. Um, I, I, believe with the pre- I believe the same as the previous callers, but I think there's a couple different ways to skin the cat. Um, Badger football games, uh, the players are actually in the tunnel or in the locker room during the national anthem. Um, and I think that's what they should do in the NFL. Disrespecting the flag really leaves a sour taste in my mouth to the point that I won't go. 
Um, okay, do you think I this is disre- that- do you think this is really disrespecting the flag? The people that do this say, "Hey, we're just we're trying we're not trying to disrespect the flag or people who've served. All we're trying to do is make a statement about you know social justice in this country." Well, I, I go to a lot of sporting events, and uh, they certainly aren't respecting the flag. They're looking. Basketball players look at the floor. They look around. I've seen guys with sweatshirts over their head. They're not thinking about the flag. But I, what I would, would recommend is that when they do come out, that the team nominate a player to speak a minute or two about whatever cause they want to talk about. And I think the, play, I think the fans would be respected, respect that, and feel good about it. And might might appreciate the message. Yeah, interesting. It'd I mean, it'd be a lot more personal. Well, it, it would. I guess. I, I guess I kind of go back to this basic thing about I. I just let let's. Is it too much to ask to keep politics out out of at least the the, the game activity? You know, the game day stuff. I mean, and again, I, I'm not denying or and, and depriving the right. I mean, if if you've got high-profile professional athletes who want to participate in marches or want to, I don't know, lead causes or form groups to raise money to support, you know, various causes and stuff. Of course, they have every right to do it. I do think from a business perspective, this there's going to be a lot of people who just go, oh, my gosh, are, are we back are we back with this again? Can't we just have a break from this? Isn't that what sports is all about? Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about a variation of this, and I, I, I got berated. My, my suggestion at the time was, if this is going to be a controversy, which it, it obviously is, may, maybe maybe we just decide, you know, why, why do we need to play the national anthem before, you know, sporting events? I mean, what... Why do we actually need to do that? Is that a tradition that maybe has, uh, again, you know, passed its time? And a number of people said, Jeff, you're, you're wrong on this. That's giving the cancel culture its, its, its due. You're giving it too much credit. But at the same time, we haven't progressed any. Sports are back. The, the kneeling is, is going to be back. Some people are going to kneel. Some people aren't. People interpret that to mean different things. Let's talk to Jim in Cedarburg. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks Hi, Jim. for my call. Sure. Yeah, hey, Jeff, first of all, you know, from a television perspective, I don't think we even see much of the national anthem anymore other than maybe a flyover for TV, you know. Yeah, but uh, you, you will. With, my guess is, that. I mean, you, you will when yeah, people start kneeling. Yeah, I mean, that's this is a headline story in the Washington Post about Gabe Kaplan, right. you know. Yeah. I agree with you. You know, for, for once upon a time, for at least 10 years, I was a vendor out at the stadium. You know, and I can tell you, Jeff, you know, what do you think were the most busiest times people went to the bathroom? <laughs> you know, it was during the national anthem, whether it be baseball or football. So I think there's a whole lot of people out there that say, I won't, I protest this. I don't believe it. You know, maybe with a few diehard people, maybe with people who are, you know, have a lot of guts and glory for the nation, fought, you know, were in the services. I get that. Okay. And I just I I'll, and let me disagree with you on this because I, I mean not not the the, the people who motivate when okay. I, I go to I, I have a twenty game pack of games of, of tickets to the Brewers mm-hmm. game so I, I'm not at Miller Park every game but the the thing that I and I don't know about the going to the bathroom thing but the thing I notice when they play the national anthem and you know the announcer comes on and you know gentlemen please stand take gentlemen take off your caps all those things. I notice almost everybody doing it. The vendors stop selling stuff, and, and I guess I, I notice 
pretty much everybody standing up, or at least now this is, you know, before, you know, pro sports were shut down. And I guess, I mean, I guess I just, I never saw mass exoduses to the bathroom. I just saw people like standing in place. On games that have large crowds, that's when it happens. You know, okay. I'll make a beeline for the bathroom during the national anthem. Really? You know, so. Interesting. Yes, absolutely. No doubt about it. Okay. No, th- thanks for calling. I, I guess, and, I, and again, that's just not, I'm not there every game. That's, that hasn't been my experience, at least at the Miller Park games I've gone to. I don't go to many Bucks games, so I don't have a frame of reference there. I do, I, I do go to, um, I've season tickets to the Marquette basketball games and, and I go to most of those games when they play the games. And again, my, my experience is during the national anthem, people, People stand up and people are are quiet. I don't get a lot. I don't see like these mass exodus. I, I think most people are, are are paying the anthem and, and using it as a moment of 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 respect. And I, I guess my only point is this is going to start again. This is going to be the the story. And I do stand by my premise. I think that there's going to be a, a lot of people who are. Um, well, less than pleased with with this decision that these athletes are going to, again, decide that they're going to use the fact that they're on the field in uniform and have the captive audience that is the, the TV, you know, people waiting for the game to start, that they're going to use that to make their, their statement on different social justice issues as opposed to doing it on their quote-unquote own time. Let's talk to uh, Brent in Cedarburg. Hi, Brent. You're on WTMJ. Hi, how's it going? Good. What do you think about all this? So, you know, I think that, you know, I have friends that have served in the military and, you know, we just recently came back from Afghanistan and I feel like that, you know, there are things that are disrespectful to the American flag and this is not one of them. Um, I feel like the last, one of the last callers that said, you know, he just wants to watch his baseball game and be done with everything. Well, you know, there are a lot of people that don't want to be treated differently than other people. And I think that's something that we all need to look at. And, you know, once everything gets sorted out with these situations, everyone can go back to normal, you know, like hopefully, you know, we never know if things will be the same for, you know, people Mm -hmm. of color and people that are not of color. And, you know, if he wants to say he wants everything to be back to normal, then he should look at what their actual problem is. Well, I mean, thanks. I mean, I guess I I guess my I I don't know that 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 he's I, I don't know that he's. You know, saying that there's not racial issues or social justice issues or things of the like. He's just like saying, okay, sports, sports is a refuge from this. And, you know, that the people that are being paid a lot of money to, I mean, play the game. I think his response is just, just kind of play the game. And then, you know, again, if you, if you want to exercise all your rights to do stuff afterwards, well, that, that's, that's fine. And that, that's not shut up and dribble. That's not what that is. It's just, okay, you know, when, when you're at the game, I, I, I use this example with concerts a lot. There, there are some performers who during concerts use it as an opportunity to express their different political opinions or whatever. And there's other performers who just say, look, that's not why people are coming to, to see me do a show and I'm going to entertain people for a couple hours. And then, then, you know, yeah, then I'll fly around on the, on our jet with Hillary Clinton and urge, you know, her election in 2016 or whatever, but not during the shows. Um, let's see, Jeff, I'm 59 years old. I was brought up to stand and remove my hat during the anthem case closed. I will turn off events that allow anything else. Well, um, you know, that's, you know, that's, 
that that's it. Um, you know, I think I mean some people are going to be like that. Uh, Jeff, you're right. They actually dimmed the lights at the concession stands at Miller Park and Lambeau. Um, the concession guy who called you probably worked um, a number of years ago. Maybe behavior was different before nine one one. And again, I, I I don't know. I just don't see people making mass runs to the bathroom. Um, during during the national anthem. Matter of fact, it's kind of the opposite thing. You know, like if you're in the middle of the transaction, the vendors will stop and they'll they'll say, "Stop! We're we're not going to um, do this." Um, Jeff, let's be clear: the anthem and the flag symbolize the ideal of quality that America stands for, not those who fail to live up to the ideals. Um, if you take a knee during the national anthem, you are not protesting racism in your country; you are protesting your country. There is a difference. Um, you do not get respect by showing disrespect. Now, again, the, the people who are engaging the protest would say, no, that's not what they're, they're doing. But I understand, you know, how people, you know, in, interpret that. Jeff, I'm a veteran and I will not be watching or going to um, baseball, basketball or NFL games if this practice continues. Uh, guys are entertainers. Keep the political statements out of this. Um, let's see. Jeff, how about they just don't play they want to make a stand they don't get paid um then see how many people will make that stand um you know that's you know that's it and i i guess it's going to be interesting again for me to see how this plays out the issue you know hasn't hasn't gone anywhere hasn't gone away and it's now going to be back i i think Players are going to do this. You're not going to have the leaks that are going to stop them from doing it. People say they're going to be turned off by this. Will that really happen? I don't know. But but time will tell. I know there's a lot of people that say if this happens, they're they're just tuning out. Again, I, I go back to what I was saying the other day. I, I, sometimes I wonder, if, is, it, is it time maybe just to say we're not going to play the anthem at these events? I mean, we, we typically don't start our work day with the anthem. We don't start, you know, school days typically with the national anthem. I mean, you know, has because of all the controversy, has this whole thing just is the easiest way to deal with this as something that's obviously very divisive and remains very divisive is the easiest way to deal with this just to say, hey, we're, you know, what what does the national anthem necessarily have to do with a major league baseball game? Maybe let's not play it. Maybe maybe we could play America the Beautiful or something, and everybody would agree on that. Just saying. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Melissa, would you do me a favor when you're back in the newsroom? Yeah. There, the, the, there, there's some rumors that that the city health department might be getting ready to loosen some of the restrictions on the school openings for private schools and there's a, if you hear anything about that would you let me know i'll let you know because yep. I, I see yep. there's a press conference going on here i i well i it just let me know if they you make any it. changes that that's all i mean that that's of course mm-hmm. you know one of these incredibly frustrating things because mps has decided that they 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 do not believe that they can safely reopen so the reopening plan is not to reopen virtual learning is it's a my phrase of the day is dumpster fire, and it's it's been a complete and total failure. I, I think, with perhaps a few exceptions, I think everybody would agree on that. And it's important to get the kids back to the classrooms, and it's important, and I appreciate also to to do that in a safe fashion. MPS 
decided that they could not do that in a safe fashion. And, of course, I, I understand MPS ha- has perhaps different considerations that other places have. I mean, MPS, the city of Milwaukee, continues to be the epicenter for coronavirus in Wisconsin. You have MPS students that I understand you've got issues with overcrowding in the classrooms. You've got a number of the, the students that depend on public transportation to get to and from school. So I appreciate that MPS, looking at things, decides, all right, we don't believe that we can safely reopen. And, and, and that's fine. I don't criticize that necessarily, if that's what they think. But apparently what happened is in the dead of night, the, the health department changed the criteria so that other schools in the city of Milwaukee could not reopen. Um, and, and that's Marquette University had planned to do it. I believe UWM had planned to do it. Wisconsin Lutheran High School and a number of private and parochial schools had decided that they thought that they could do it. And they've been working towards those goals. And then they find out that the city health department in the dead of night with no input at all had changed the rules so that they wouldn't be able to open either. Now, if you want to be cynical about it, let's understand what was going on. This was a situation where MPS didn't want the competition. They didn't want people having another reason to pull their kids out of MPS and send them to somewhere else where now they're going to get in-person learning. So between the health department and the mayor, you had this, this thing, this deal in the middle of the night. It's created a lot of problems. And I, I don't know if they're going to restructure that or, or not, but they, they should. This should be up to local schools. If Wisconsin Lutheran or Marquette University High School or other schools in the city believe that they can do it safely and the parents are on board with it, they should, at least in my opinion, have the right to try. And, and and maybe it's not going to work out. Okay, maybe you're going to have you know somebody that gets sick and then you know brings it home, and then you might have to move to Plan B. I, I fully acknowledge that, but I think schools, if they think they can do it safely and the parents are on board, they should have the right to try. And the the government in this case should not cynically tell them that they cannot do that. And again, it, it might not work. I, I fully understand that. And as far as some of the teachers who, who don't want to go back, well, again, I I understand the considerations, but at the same time, if, if we say to people, all right, you're an essential worker and, and you've got to stand in line as the cashier at the grocery store and have all sorts of people come through you and have perhaps closer contact than you might have to have in a classroom, I, I, I think, you know, schools have the right to give it a try. And I think teachers, for example, and the kids in the classroom have the right to say, okay, what is our plan going to be? How are we going to try to do this to maximize safety? But I don't think the city health department should be saying, no, you don't even have a right to try. We'll see if they make any changes with that or not. All right. During one of the, the Milwaukee protests, I remember being struck by the fact that there was one image of of the people who were leading the protests, and and one of the guys in the front of the march had in his possession an AR, it would appear to me to be like an AR-15 semi-automatic, you know, quote-unquote assault rifle. And and he was walking down the streets, and he was kind of waving the, the, the gun around. And he said he had the gun there for protection or whatever. And I thought, well, this is kind of interesting that you have this guy that's, you know, walking in these crowds, and there's all these people around, and he's brandishing this gun, and, and you know, nobody says anything about it. Okay, and that, that's 
That that's fine. That was the case. So I was thinking of that when I saw this story about the the St. Louis couple, and and you will remember the story. They are a pair of attorneys. Um, this happened a couple weeks ago, actually June twenty eighth. They live in a a private gated community. What happened is you had a number of protesters who wanted to get to the the mayor's house, and the shortcut to get to the mayor's house was to go through this gated community. Now, there's some question about whether protesters broke down the gate or whether the gate was unlocked, they just opened it and came in, and then the gate subsequently got damaged. I don't know. But you had all these people that were you know, parading in to this this community. It's a private road, and they're, they're doing this as a shortcut to get to the, the mayor's house. The couple said that they'd been told that, that a couple days beforehand that the group was planning this event. Um, the couple says that, hey, you know, June 1st, there'd been an arson of a 7-Eleven store in downtown St. Louis, so we had put fire extinguishers in every room at the lower level of our house. And I say house, these people live in, in this mansion. Um, the guy, his name is Mark McCluskey, had a rifle at the ready. He says he saw a flood of people go through this locked gate and enter the private residential street. Again, the protesters say, no, it, it was the gate was open already, but it was a private street. The McCluskeys, the husband and wife, grabbed their guns and confronted the protesters. They say they were fearful of their their for their life. Um, the guy said safeties were engaged on their guns. There was a confrontation that lasted about 15 minutes. He's yelling, get out, get out, get out. Um, one protester is telling him to calm down. Somebody else is cursing at him. Um, the attorney, Mark McCluskey, the guy with the gun, says, I believe in my heart of hearts that the only thing that kept these mobsters, that's his quote, that crowd away from us is that we were standing there with with guns. All right, so you've seen the video. This is the background. Um, this case has not gone away. And yesterday, the local authorities issued charges. They were both charged with a felony count um, of unlawful use of a weapon, exhibiting. That, that's what they were charged with yesterday. The attorney general for the state has moved to intervene, believing that they should not be charged with a crime for what they did. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, so the St. Louis couple who had the standing on their property with the guns as the protesters go go marching by, they've now been charged with felonies. I'll tell you this. As a practical matter, I don't see any way that these two people, whether what they did was right or wrong or over the top, I don't see any way in the world that a jury is going to agree unanimously, 12 people, that these two committed a crime. Am I right or wrong? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. They've now been charged. Is there any way that this they is there any way they get convicted under these circumstances? All right, we discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm really curious as to your reaction because the the authorities, the local authorities, have brought charges against that couple in St. Louis, charging them with unlawful possession of a firearm exhibiting, uh, in other words, brandishing the loaded firearm. Uh, all right. Is anybody going to convict them? My sense is no. Mark, here on WTMJ, good afternoon. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure. Uh, let me preface this by saying I'm a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. Uh, I, I get into arguments with people all the time about my belief that people should and have a right to carry firearms to be able to defend themselves, especially from criminals, because you don't know what they're going to do. That being said, uh, I see a few distinct differences between this case and uh, the one you mentioned where the protester that was carrying around uh, some type of assault-style-looking weapon uh, if he were to take that loaded weapon and to look down the sights and aim it at, at someone, then he would have been arrested and charged as well because carrying a firearm, which you have every right to do, is a far stretch from pointing a loaded firearm at someone. And as a supporter of the Second Amendment, if someone were to point a loaded firearm at me, I would defend myself because I would fear that they are going to shoot me. Uh, I think that they really crossed the line by instigating and escalating. It's not like these this crowd was all just coming up on their yard, going to attack and burn down their house. No, they went out into their yard. They were looking for a fight, and they they crossed the line. And well, I feel well, they, well, they would say they weren't looking. Them. They would say they weren't looking for a fight. They would say that they were afraid that the group was going to you know come on and damage their property, and they were trying to discourage but, but did them. They, but but did the group go onto their property at all, or did they come out of their house looking to, to initiate with that group? Because you can clearly see they weren't just waiting up on their porch saying, oh, I hope this passes us by. Hmm. No, they were taking their guns out. They were going out on the lawn, and they were saying, try me. And pointing hmm. your weapon at someone, that that's where you cross the line. Okay. Uh, if All you're right. pointing a loaded firearm at well, someone, then you got to accept the consequences. Well, okay, but let's go back to your point in the example I was giving about the guy who was leading the march. He he was pointing the gun at people. I mean, he's 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 car- It's it's not like it's a holstered gun. He's he's carrying the gun in front of him, and it's it's pointed at people. I mean, it's people do do that. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a good idea, but people do do that. I mean, should we? Uh, should we then have charged the the guy that I'm talking about who's walking down walking down the road with waving the gun? I think that if he was lining up his sights and aiming it at at specific people and giving them the impression that he was going to char- discharge his firearm at them, then yes, he should be charged as should this lawyer couple, because that's the first thing of gun safety. You never point a loaded weapon at someone unless you intend to use it. And I think that's the bottom line. Okay, thanks for the call. Well, I think, I mean, to me, the the question mark is going to be as a practical, do do I think this is a good idea? No, I I don't. Just like I don't think it was a good idea for the guy to be leading the protest march waving the gun. I I don't think that was a good idea either. Because to me, the question is, as a practical matter, are you going to be in a situation where you're going to be able to find 12 people that agree beyond a reasonable doubt that this that this was a crime, that this was not a legitimate exercise of, of, of for example, self-defense? Nobody nobody fired the gun. Um, my guess is they're going to say, hey, look, this was designed as a deterrent. We've got this group of people who have 
broken down a gate, and again, that, that's or, or entered regardless, but it's a private road. So now you have all these people coming in here. We were afraid because we had seen what groups of, of protesters had done as far as burning things, etc. So we were trying to discourage that. Now, I don't think it's a good idea what they did. No. Would they have been better off staying inside? Yes. Would they have avoided all these problems? Yes. When they go on TV saying they do the same thing over again, I, I kind of admit, I, I sort of roll my eyes and think, oh, really? At the same time, even though I think it was bad judgment on their part, are, are they going to get convicted? Let's talk to John on the northwest side. John, you're on WTMJ. Okay, I'm here. You're here. Yeah, you're here. What I was, right. What I was saying is that, you know, like you said just before, you know, they could have just stayed in the house. Yep. You know, and, and call, call 911, the authorities, that, you know, tell them that you got a mob out here that's destroying your property and there's something that's going to happen. But if, if they're not destroying your property, or what, you can't kill nobody from destroying the property. Come on, that, that's, not, that's not right. You're going to go out and shoot somebody up, you know, and mm-hmm. kill somebody's family, somebody's father. You yeah. know, or, or, but of course, they, but they or, didn't or, fire the gun. They they didn't shoot the gun in the air. They they just they just waved they the guns did. around. Right, but you don't wave a gun around. It's just like the guy before me was saying, you don't wave a, you know, you don't wave a gun around. You know, with these guns, I'm gonna tell you something. Even with the president sending these people out, you know, these uh, unidentified people, they got a lot of gangs in these cities. You know, <laughs> now if they if they retaliate. It's gonna be some crazy. It's just gonna be bad news. Right. You know, oh. they gotta they, they need to start. You know, doing something because, uh, you know, I mean, they're going into Chicago. You know, Chicago's not afraid of somebody coming in there. Right. You know, I, I mean, it's just wrong. These guns is going to, it's just. Well, and again, overdoing things. Well, and John, don't, and again, I, I want people to understand what I'm talking about here. I Do I think this was good judgment? No, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I just don't. That they would have been so much better off. Just you, don't don't confront don't confront people. And it's true. It's not like the, this this group of protesters, whether they were legitimately legally in the 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 the, pri- the private road or not. It's not like they were storming the house. Um, and there's no question by going out in front, you you escalated the situation. Do I think that that was a smart idea? My answer is no. Should they have stayed inside? Absolutely. I think they should have stayed inside. That's, of course, a different question, though, than we're discussing. So bad judgment isn't necessarily criminal. I understand where you can look at what they did and say, well, I okay, I, I want to charge them with a crime. My question is, will people convict them of that? Are you going to get 12 people who are going to agree unanimously, beyond a reasonable doubt, that, that yes, this was not a legitimate exercise of trying to deter people and, and protect your property? That's, I think, one of my issues here. Let's talk to Chris in Madison. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Chris. Um, yeah. I find this one to be very interesting. I went and actually took the class to get a concealed carry, and I uh, had a I had a handgun. And um, after taking the class, I actually gave up the gun, knowing you know what the reality of all this is. is right. You cannot defend your property with a firearm. Right. That is that is a no no. The only thing you can do with a Basically, what you can do is if somebody comes in your house and you are in danger of losing your life, you have to shoot to kill. If you shoot to wound, you will get arrested and get sued, uh, even if it's in your own house. And this is coming from, I mean, this is the national, the test, the classes for concealed carry. And what these people did, 
you know, I, I'm a conservative guy, but I looked at it, and they, to me they looked like a couple of idiots. And if they would have done something, shot somebody, they would be in jail for the rest of their lives for what? Replacing a couple of broken windows? To yeah. me, it was some grandstanding, I think, that they did. And I think they're going to have some consequences for it uh, to set a precedent. Is you can't do that. All it takes is somebody to get nervous. What if somebody does start coming at them and they just decide to shoot? Well, that's and they yeah. kill somebody. You right. know, and then you're, then you're off. No, you're your house. no. Then, then you're off to the races. There's no question about it. Now, this of course isn't a concealed carry thing because they're openly carrying it in a way to try to discourage things. Have a couple interesting texts here, Jeff. I'm a 51 year old black man. Ever since COVID 19 started, I've had handguns and rifles placed all around my house in the open. Not guilty, I say. Um, Jeff, the protesters broke through the gate and were on private property. They were just protecting themselves and their house. Jeff, those two having guns present, prevented the mob from coming up onto their property. Jeff, truth to be told, I believe I can hold a gun on my property. Um, I, and I raise... I, I raised this, Jeff, different situations. The one you were giving was in public. Um, the other one was on his property. The man was ready to defend himself and his property here. Um, I just, again, I, and this kind of underscores the point I guess I was trying to make all all this. Um, Jeff, first of all, uh, the protesters don't have to come into the house they could do it outside if you are in imminent danger you can still shoot i mean if you're in imminent danger i i I bring this up because again going back to my basic premise it's not a question to me of whether this was a wise decision or not i would have stayed inside my house I, i do think by going outside what they did is they created a they provoked the situation. They made it worse. My point, though, is, and you can kind of tell it from the split in the callers and the split in the text, from the perspective of bringing criminal charges, you're going to have some people who think this is the worst thing in the world. These people need to be prosecuted and sent to prison. You're going to send other people who are going to say, you know, if I was in that situation and I saw all these people, I would have done exactly the same thing. I'm just saying I, I think the odds of securing a conviction in this case are slim to none. We'll see if I'm right.